Nehemiah 8. We're in the last part of the chapter right now as we're trekking through our series. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 13 through 18. We're in about five, uh, we're in a few verses and uh, rich verses, uh, as a matter of fact. Uh, we'll be going through these five verses today, uh, but they're a long five, so let's, let's get at it. When you get there, say amen. Amen, amen, amen. Verse 13. It says, On the second day of uh, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found in it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths or tabernacles during the feast of the seventh month. Uh, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olives, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in the courts and uh, in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. Uh, for from the days of Joshua, uh, the son of Nun, to the day of the, uh, the day the people of Israel had not done so, and there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and in the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according uh, to the rule. Uh, today we want to we want to tag if we could this sub, this text with the subject of rebuilt through celebrating God's faithfulness. Rebuilt through celebrating God's faithfulness. You may be seated. <clears throat> you may be seated. Um, I, I, am, uh, I am convinced that God is faithful. I'm going to say that again because y'all were sitting down and y'all missed that. I'm convinced that God is faithful. I, I, I'm convinced that he, his mercy endures forever. I, I'm, 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 I'm convinced uh, that, 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 that he's been better than me, like the old preacher said, than I could be to myself um, the, um, the faithfulness of God is from everlasting um, to everlasting, um, I, I, and, I th- and I think that that is a that is that is a very very empowering need of our lives that we need to meditate and recognize that there's strength in remembering God's faithfulness. There's strength in celebrating God's faithfulness. There's there there there, there there's enjoyment and satisfaction in it. If I could. If I can give faithfulness a definition, if you will, it's hard to really define, but, 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 but if we could put human terminology to the character of God as it relates to faithfulness, I would say faithfulness is the willingness of God to enduringly love through all circumstances. Let me say that again. Faithfulness is the willingness of God to enduringly love through all circumstances. Um, see, see, most of us, that didn't hit us yet because we don't think that God loved us through anything. Um, we don't think that God stuck with us through some stuff. Um, and, 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 and the people of Israel are sent to this point as now they have worked on the wall, and now God wants to more effectively work on them. And, 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 and as he begins to work on them, God, they come to a point in their time 
where, where, where they are having, a, 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 they're going to have a deep worship gathering of sorts, which brings us to our first and only point. Our first and only point, which, which, which this will be fleshed out so richly in this text, is go through great lengths to remember the faithfulness of God. Go, go through great lengths uh, to, 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 uh, remember, uh, to remember the faithfulness of God. Uh, they, they, they come to this time together where the priests, the, uh, the, uh, the Levites, um, the elders, the heads of households, all of them have gathered together because they just discovered the Bible. They, they just bent through the first five books of the Bible. The day before, if you remember last week, they spent half a day just reading the Scriptures. They worship was blown away by the Scriptures. Then they went back through, reread it, began to exegete the passages, and, and, and begin to recognize and begin to weep and, be, and feel bad because of the nature in which they had recognized that there was a distance between them and their commitment to the Word of God as they began to have the Word of God explained to them. So they spent the, the better part of the, the rest of that day doing that. And so the, so the leaders was like, that, that's not going to catch us off guard again. We need to go and have a little seminary class by ourselves, and we want to have a worshipful seminary class with, with just the leadership where they wanted to sit down and begin to work through the Word of God. And the Bible says in, in this verse 13, it says, it says, on the, on the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. They had, they had a gathering with purpose. And it says, they found it. Say found. They found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths or tabernacles during the feast of the seventh month. And so here in this passage, we now are seeing that they are discovering how distant their existence has been away from the living God. And so they were supposed to celebrate based on the, uh, the, the uh, 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 Leviticus chapter 23 talks about this feast of tabernacles and booths. Um, there, there are about seven feasts, some say eight, but about seven feasts that they are supposed to celebrate. They, they were supposed to celebrate everything from Yom Kippur and Passover and all of these different uh, uh, feasts. But this was the last of the feasts, and many call it the great feast. It has many aliases. It's called Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booze. And, and, and some in rabbinic culture would call this uh, the, the, the Feast of Festival or Harvest, the Feast of Harvest here. And so they're hearing this passage, and they have discussed discovered the Feast of Booze. And so back, back over uh, uh, in Leviticus chapter 23, as well as in Deuteronomy 33 and Deuteronomy 40, 34, I believe it is, you begin to see um, the, the, this, this, this idea of the Feast of Booze, which points back to back in the day uh, when they had experienced God's faithfulness in the wilderness. It points back to all of the stuff that God put up with with the people of God, which I had some help right there. Uh, over that time, and how God didn't let their sin get in the way of how gracious he wanted to be to them. I know nobody in here has experienced that, but I'll keep going. But, 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 the, but this was a celebration of that reality, and this was the last of the great feast of the, of the big seven, if you will. And, and, and so in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 33, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the 15th, day of the seventh month, and for seven days is the feast of tabernacles of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day 
you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. And so what this was, was during this particular period of time in which they gathered together, they were to go back and venture through, and really this being the summation of all the feasts kind of points them back to how things were when they were in the land of Egypt and when God had come through the prophet Moses and began the delivering process. How many of you know that deliverance is a process and an event? Um, um, and so, and so it began to process the, the deliverance, but the deliverance didn't happen until later, which pointed to an event. We'll come back to that later. But then the last point of deliverance was the 10th plague in which God brought upon all the people that says, anyone that doesn't have the blood on the doorposts of their homes, the blood is not posted on the doorposts of your home, I am going to come in and take for myself the firstborn child and show he's going to go, 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 go to sleep and, and he's going to die. And so the people of God uh, who knew that this was going to happen, they, they, by faith alone, in Yahweh alone, by his grace and faith, they, 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 they took the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost. The, the angel, the death angel came and money came through with a vengeance coming through to the glory of God, to the honor of God. And, and, and whenever he came upon a doorpost, I like the way um, the, the prince of Egypt joint do it. That joint is a beast. I, if you ain't seen that, you need to see it and bless your soul. But I like the way the joint came and he looked at the joint and then when he saw the blood, he went away. That thing was just a good image of what, what happens when God sees the blood over you. And, 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 and he moves past you because the blood is covering you. That's when he's coming in judgment. When he comes in judgment, he'll look at you. Oh, it's blood right there. And then he, but it's not just any old blood. It's the blood that he's particularly set aside to be used for his honor and glory. But then, but then, but then after that, uh, um, uh, Pharaoh says, forget y'all. I'm going to let y'all cats go. And so he let them go. And, and, and then they started rolling out. They, the Bible says they were a mixed multitude. I'm just giving you some history because everybody in here ain't grew up in the church. And so, and so, and so, and so, and so he took all of the, all of the items and they gave, God says, I'm going to make, I'm going to make your enemies give you a whole bunch of stuff. So they went out, cats got gold on their back, cats going, boom, rolling out of, uh, rolling out of Egypt. But then God unheartens his heart. That's how sovereign he is. He can change a heart in a moment for his glory. And he reheartens uh, Pharaoh's heart, heart. And he said, what am I doing? Everything going to be messed up. So he said, gather the troops. Cats coming together, gathering the troops. And they can hear them coming, but they need the water. So it's water here and it's, and it's, and it's, and it's the enemy here. It's water here and the enemy here. And so, and so, and so the people start, see how God do? God always, see, he, ain't got, he don't plan nothing. I mean, he got us all near water. You know what I'm saying? I'm frustrated about this. And, they, and the Bible says, and the congregation grumbled against Moses. Um, but the Bible, told, the Bible says that God spoke to Moses and tell the people to shut up and stand still so that you can see the salvation of the Lord. And so all of a sudden, God put up something between the enemies and the people of God to stop them from a pillar of fire. Um, but that pillar of fire that was judgment to stop the enemy was the same fire that was going to guide them through the wilderness. I wish I had some help right there. And so then uh, he holds up the staff, and then the water parts. It was just a beautiful thing. I love the way the, uh, some people have pictured it, even old heads back in, what's that, the 50s and 60s? I like that movie, right? The joint comes up, and then the people are like, oh, so they start running through. And then you see the most beautiful aquarium that you've ever seen in your life because you're walking on dry land. A God so powerful, he dried up the ground that they were under where the water that was over it no longer was muddy, but it was dry land. And then over here, you saw fish and everywhere, and they walked walking through. And as they were walking through and got two-thirds of the way through, y'all still trekking with me? And when they, when they got two-thirds of the way through, God said, I'm going to scam a little bit. I like some, I like thrillers. God, see, God likes epic stuff. He said, I'm going to scam my children, see where they at, see if they trust me. Because I just opened up water on these bammers, right? And let me see now what's going to happen. So he drops the jaw, right? Then it's going, 
Pharaoh say, let's go. They go in, come in with spears and everything coming after them. People of God like, see, God always, like, why would he do that? You're scaring me. So cats start running, running like this. They get on to the other side. And then, 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 then they said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do, Moses? What are we going to do? And Moses said, quick, cap it. And then all of a sudden the water went, whew, washed cats over, and they were done. And God delivered them from their enemies. And during the course, during the course of their journey with God over and over and over again, they had this attitude towards God of forgetfulness. They, 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 got, they got forgetful to the point where they forgot his faithfulness. Amnesia is the enemy, is the enemy of you recognizing the faithfulness of the living God. And so God at one point had them institute, had Moses institute this, so that year by year by year that the people of God would never ever forget the faithfulness of the living God. But you know what they did, uh, even though God gave them ways to remember his faithfulness, they still did not remember his faithfulness. And so the Feast of Booze was to remind them of the fact that they had the same pair of sneakers for 40 years that God didn't let wear out. They weren't gelling or nothing. It didn't exist. And God let their ability, let their shoes, their sneakers stay white and everything. It was nice looking shoes. And they kept on getting it done, looking real, real nice, right? That's how God worked on them. And then in the wilderness, they, they got hungry. They said, God, we sick of manna. God gave them manna. He said, okay. He gave them this flaky, wafy stuff that only angels ate. And God, you know, they, they enjoyed it in heaven. He let it sit on the ground. Then they didn't obey God with that. But God was faithful. He kept providing for them. But then they said, well, we want some meat. You know what I'm saying? Well, why don't you send us, like, grill us some food, God? You know what I'm saying? We want some food. So God sent quail. That wasn't enough. And so they say, ah, they grumble against God. We thirsty. And then God allowed a rock to become a fire hydrant in the wilderness. Did, did you hear that? A rock that was sitting there God knows how long, and they were thirsty. There was no water in sight. And God said, I'm going to bring water out of a rock. And the rock burst open like it was filled with water, but the amount of water that was coming out of the rock couldn't have been sourced in the water. It had to have been sourced in someone greater. See, 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 no matter what happens in your life, you have to begin to remember the faithfulness of God. Because we don't want to be bratty people. Little brats that think everything in life exists for us and is for us and by us. But what's good about God is God's faithfulness supersedes our foolishness. Let me say that again. God's faithfulness supersedes our foolishness. So the Feast of Tabernacles reminded them of several things. Number one, it points them back to, I mean, it reminds them by pointing them backwards. And then number two, it reminds them by pointing them forward. Let me say that again. It reminds them by pointing them backwards and pointing them forward. It points first to their new birth as a nation. In other words, God reminds them that I saved you. That, that he, 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 in other words, he said, I put you in a relationship with me. But then it reminds him of the fact that God doesn't take away hardship, but that he's with you in the midst of hardship. 
and that he'll provide in some places. Why? Because God wants to make sure that he gives you a track record in the desert so that when you get around the vineyards and the fruitfulness and the grocery stores and stuff, you don't forget what it was like when you had to get a sandwich from the grocery store, um, from the corner store. You, you don't know nothing about that. So, so, so what God wants us to do, he, he wants you to remember the days of the bologna sandwiches fried in the frying pan. We had to make the slits in the middle of it so it could flatten out so it wouldn't swell up and fry on the edges. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Uh, he, he, he wants you to remember the days where you had the dry milk from the government. You know what I'm saying? And you had to get some water if the water was turned on. And, or unless you had to go outside and borrow some from the corner store from somebody and mix it and make milk. He wants to remind you of the days when you had that cheese in that cardboard box that had the little top on it. And it was seed. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. And that thick bread. I know some of y'all lost. Y'all said, what are you talking about? He wants you to remember the, the philosophy and spiritual welfare that you were on at a particular time in your life. And what be, because when he makes your life fruitful, when he begins to bless your life, when he begins to over-resource your life to where you got a cupboard now, to where you can go out to eat now, when you, he, said, he doesn't want you to point to the fact that you did it on your own, but it always points back to the one that sourced you. I wish I had some help right there. See, many of us have been so used to our philosophy of the American philosophy of pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And it don't happen if we don't make it happen. But, the, but you can work as hard as you want to. You can get as many degrees as you want to. You can shop where you want. You can do all that you want to do. But at the end of the day, if the Holy Ghost don't blow, if God doesn't blow on it, no matter how much work you do, if he doesn't open up something to bring forth what you're working for, then, then, then what, is what you must recognize is, listen, is that it all comes from him. Everything in your life. Don't you get too high for looting. Don't you get too fly with what God is providing that you don't remember that he's the provider, that he's the source of everlasting everything. But, but, but God wants us not to focus on the resources that he gives. He used the resources as finger pointers. The resources are finger pointers to the living God. And so the Feast of Booths acted as a finger pointer to point backwards and to point forward. And, 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 and God wants us to remember the beauty of that provisionary action that he did. Psalm 78 is a record of the wilderness wanderings. Psalm, Psalm, Psalm 78, it says in Psalm 78, 15, it says, it says, he splits the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundant, abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow like a river. Uh, I, 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 like the, I like the next, 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 next verse. It says in verse uh, 17, it says, yet they sin still the more against and rebelling against the most high in the desert. They tested the God in their heart. Lord have mercy. By demanding food, they they craved. They spoke against God, saying, can God spread a table in the, in, in the wilderness? He struck the rock so water gushed out. The streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when God heard he was full of wrath, a fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose because they did not believe. Somebody say believe. Believe in God and did not trust in his saving power. It's very, very dangerous to get am selective amnesia with the grace of God. It's very, very dangerous. And, and, and so the Feast of Booths was there to remind them of four things. Number one, God's provision. Number two, that God fulfills his covenant obligations. That means even when you're unfaithful, he's faithful. 
God's patience with us in our sin, in our sin, not out of our sin, his patience with us while we're yet in it. And then the fact that we're on a pilgriming journey with him, that we're on a pilgrimage journey with him. But, but then it points forward, which I'll talk about in a second. But then it says, go to the hills and, and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make as booths or make booths. It says, from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to the day of the people heard it, it had not, been done, had not been done so. In other words, this celebration is not saying that it never happened since the days of Joshua. What it's saying is, is the way it has been celebrated hasn't been celebrated since then. Let me explain why. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. See, 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 back in the day when they first celebrated it, they were fresh off of recon, rec, recognizing what God had delivered them from. But the longer they had a relationship with God but forgot about what he delivered them from, the celebratory nature of his faithfulness got thin in their lives. Why? Because they became less thankful because they were no longer experiencing the level of intensity that, that was in their earlier journey with God than it is within their journey with God now. So the more the abundance of the people of God received from the Lord, the more thankless the celebration became over the years. So since they became fresh out of captivity, they were fresh out of captivity now, and they had seen the ruggedness of the city. They seen the ruggedness of their environment, and they remembered that 114 years, the scriptures hasn't really been richly taught and remembered and practiced by them as a nation. And so now it's a festive gathering, and now they're celebrating God's faithfulness. But see, the farther we get away from remembering what God delivered us from, we develop what's called entitlement. Say entitlement. Can I talk about entitlement for like two minutes? Entitlement is the heart's thanklessness towards the goodness of God. Entitlement is the thanklessness. Entitlement at its core is self-worship. Entitlement is the self-exalting idolatry of one's sense of believing that the good in my life is deserved. See, 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 when you, when you get into, see, see, that's what I'm praying God to deliver this generation from. We are a generation of entitlement because we're being blessed on the back heels of stuff that's happened in America, and we haven't really had to generationally go through nothing. And so because we haven't really generationally go through nothing, and we haven't experienced the hardship of why the blessings have been released by God, what we do is we have a, a philosophy of entitlement. And this entitlement means, I mean, it wasn't no hard. That's why, you do, that's why God doesn't like to just give people stuff. Let me say that again. He doesn't like to just, because see, if he just gives it to you and, don't re, and you don't recognize what it took for you to get it, then you won't be thankful for it. That's why to get saved, you have to know that he is holy. Why? Why? Because you got to know who was after you. Let me say that again. See, if you know he's holy... You got to first know who he's after you. But then you got to not only know who's after you, you got to know what his wrath is like. So that's why a hellless gospel is not the gospel. Because you got to know, you got to know that the God of wrath was after you. Um, so that when you get saved, you're blessing God's name. Why? 
because you recognized you weren't entitled to salvation, but it was because of the goodness and mercy of God that in a while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And then you recognizing that, that you were saved from the wrath of God, you, didn't, you can't say, you won't say, by grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God that no man should boast. Why? I didn't earn it, he earned it for me. But even though God has given it to me free, I see Christ's death and what it took. So therefore, I know that it was more than just my look. It, wasn't, it had nothing to do with me. It had to do with him. And God's wrath was on him. And when he came after him, he ripped him to shreds on the cross. The Bible says he was pleased to crush him. And so because he was crushed on the cross and because he bled and died, now I don't have a philosophy of entitlement. Because I know salvation wasn't earned, but it was earned by someone. And so entitlement, entitlement is such an enemy of celebrating God's faithfulness. Entitlement is narcissism's paternal twin. Entitlement is narcissism's paternal twin brother. In other words, we, we, we are a build, we, are a, we have a me philosophy of life. And God is, God is going to, listen, God is going to break that. He loves to break the me-centered philosophy of life. As a matter of fact, entitlement is so brutal that entitlement in the life of God's people is functional deism. What do I mean by that? Deism is the philosophy that's the antithesis to theism. Can I teach for a second? Theism recognizes that not only did God create everything, but he's intimately involved. He's transcendent, he's high, but he's imminent, he's involved. But then deism says God is just transcendent, he created and he's over everything, but he's not involved and he's left us to do everything on our own. And therefore, he shouldn't get glory, I should get glory. Why? Because I, I, I big him up because he created everything, but he's left me to myself, so I have to do everything on my own. But So I earned everything that I've been blessed with in creation. We're functional deists sometimes. I'll stay there, but I got to move. I got to move. Entitlement limits its satisfaction to what God provides. See, the problem with limiting yourself to what God provides is sometimes he chooses not to provide. Let me say that again. Sometimes God chooses not. Oh, y'all think, y'all think God, God is, a, he, he is Jehovah Jireh, but sometimes he doesn't function in your life as Jehovah Jireh. Because he's trying to remove entitlement out of your life. So, 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 so Paul, that's why Paul says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Why? I've learned to abound when I got some loot in the bank. You know what I'm saying? When I can go shopping. You know what I'm saying? Well, I can buy steak this time instead of Chef Boyardee. You know what I'm saying? When, when, when I don't have to buy lunch meat, when I can go out. He said, I know what it's like to have some fat pockets and be able to just spend money. But then he says, when stuff get a little lean, he says, I've learned to obey. So I wish I had some help. He said, and so, and so what happens is, he said, I've learned the secret of, of, of what it means to, to go with a little and, with, and to go with plenty. And then he says the greatest verse that we like to quote. He says, because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, the context of that verse is not so you can get spiritual muscles merely. What it's talking about is the ability to go through bumps and bruises of life and still be satisfied with God. In other words, <laughs> oh, man. When, 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 you, when, when you don't have a lot, when you don't have a lot and it's a little lean and you're frustrated because you want something, you say, you know what? Why am I wanting for that? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When the, when the cupboard's empty, I can do all things 
through Christ who gives me strength. When my bank account's low, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. When I can't pay my bills, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. When my cell phone's turned off, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. When my body's wrecked with pain, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When I'm depressed, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When people around me are acting a fool and they don't like me no more, I can do all things through Christ, through Christ, through Christ who gives me strength. The question today is where do you draw your strength from? Where do you, do, where do you draw your soul's resources from? You, can't, you, you have to be able to learn this secret that Christ is the greatest satisfier of all times. He's the greatest satisfier of all times. So we must smash, smash the idol of entitlement. Let's uproot him today. Let's uproot that sucker, that punk that wants me not to be thankful to my God. That's why every chance I get, I lift his name up. That's why every chance I get... I, I, that's why I like when they, they was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I want to enter his courts with thanksgiving and his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Why? Because I, I, want to, I want to worship him. I want to bow down to him. I want to acknowledge with the fruit of my lips God's faithfulness. See, some of y'all don't worship because you're entitled. See, that's, that's why y'all don't never lift your hands. That's why you don't never sing no songs. That's why you don't never, that's, be, why? Because you think you earned it. But when you know that it was nothing but the Lord, when you know that if it wasn't the goodness of God that kept you, it makes you say, listen, I, gotta, I, 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 don't, I don't know, I know I'm masculine and all of that, and it ain't feminine to lift your hands to God. And, and, and I saw somebody dart through the church the other day. I said, go ahead, doc, get your run on. Why? Because somebody said, I'm not entitled to anything, and it's only because the living God provided it is the reason why I got it. Thonchfet says... He says, now after the reading and explanation of the law, the people were invited to focus on the festival's early emphasis, the effective presence and nurturing care of God towards the small community, this is beautiful, that had been so graciously redeemed and mercifully preserved. In that way, in this way, attention is drawn away from false security in the things that God provided through the walls and the money and the resources for all of those things may be engendered and thrown out of the way as the people physically reenact their dependence on God for the seven days. And then it says, and great rejoicing went forth. What happened? Revival. Revival happened. Revival. We're not just trying to get you pumped up emotionally, but everybody needs revival, especially after they've messed up. Because they knew they messed up. So they knew that they needed revival. Now, let me see if I can get some help from David. In Psalm 51, when he needed revival, he said, let me hear joy and gladness. Because in his soul, because of his sin, he couldn't hear anything from God anymore. Satisfaction was messed up because he let sin loose in his soul all over again. 
And because he let sin loose in his soul all over again, he, he felt degraded and distant from God. And so he was so in, he was racking with pain so much, he says, restore to me, O Lord, the joy of your salvation and uphold within me a willing spirit. God, help me to repent. Help me to turn to you over again. Restore to me the ability to be satisfied with you once again, God. He's asking for revival. Let me get some help with defining revival. Revival, J.I. Packer calls God's quickening visitation of his people, touching their hearts and deepening his work of grace in their lives. Robert Baird says, extraordinary season of religious interest. Stephen F. Alford says, the sovereign act of God in which he restores his backsliding people to repentance and faith and obedience in him. Uh, another one says, Richard Owens, uh, Richard Owen Roberts says, an extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results in the souls of his people. Earl Kern says, the work of the Holy Spirit in restoring the people of God to a more vital spiritual life, witness and work by prayer, and the word after repentance in crisis for their spiritual decline. Acts 3.19 says, times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. But then it talks about in latter in verse 18, it says, in verse 18, it says, day by day, and from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law. This is so beautiful. Of God, they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. I, I, I like this because, because what would happen the seven, the first seven days of uh, the festival. By the Watergate, they would pour out a libation offering of water uh, uh, during each day of the festival. But on the eighth day of the festival, they wouldn't pour any water out on that day because they are, they, they're seeing themselves as being nurtured on the blessings of the water that was pouring out to cause the harvest to come in. Because now, uh, during, during the Feast of Booze, this last of the seven feasts, what they would do is they would, they would, they would have their vats full with wine and, and all, of their, all of their harvests would come in. And that means the living God had provided rain for them to be able to celebrate his provision. But on the eighth day, there, 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 there wasn't a dryness. There was an enjoyment of his faithfulness. So they, they, they said, we're just going to soak off his faithfulness on the eighth day. We won't pour out any water. Well, in the New Testament, in, in John chapter 7, Jesus was told by his brothers, he said, if you're the Messiah, show yourself up. In the, go, go on down to Jerusalem now, big man. You know what I'm saying? The Bible says they were unbelievers. They didn't believe. They weren't believing him until they were taunting him. So Jesus went uh, down uh, to Jerusalem where it was 250,000 people in the city of Jerusalem during that particular time, which is geographically smaller than the one that we have now. So that was a packed city. And in the midst of the feast, he went down in the midst of the feast on the eighth day. It says the great day of the feast. The great day of the feast of booths or tabernacles is the day when there is no water poured out. But Jesus comes up, and he stands up in the middle of the feast, and Jesus says something powerful. If any man comes to me and drink, he will be full. Because if any man believes in me out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I like that because what he's saying is, I was the rock that was struck in the wilderness. And when that rock was struck in the wilderness, water gushed out of it to satisfy over 2 million people over and over and over and over and over and over again. And in, other, in other words, in this dry, dirty, dingy rock came fresh 
beautiful, satisfying, clean water that satisfied their church, uh, their, 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 their thirst and all of that. And Jesus says, I, will, I am the rock that shall be struck. I am the true rock that will be struck. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus was struck for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, for by his stripes we were healed. What happened? When he was on the cross, he got stabbed in the stomach. When he got stabbed in the stomach, blood and water came out. Jesus says, listen, I, I am the living source of satisfaction for you. There's no other place that you should be going to get satisfaction. No matter what I provide, no matter what God provides, I am the ultimate place of satisfaction. He said the Feast of Booze was a good thing. The Feast of Tabernacles is a good thing. But y'all can stop celebrating that feast now because the thing that the feast was pointing to is now present. I, he said the feast, of, he said I, I'm, I'm now present. And so what Jesus Christ comes to give is that he said, I am the record of God's faithfulness. He said, I was the manna that fell down on the ground for you to come out and pick up and eat. I was, I, I was the living meat that came down from heaven in the form of a quail, and, I, and, you, and you were able to feast off of me. I was the water that was struck with the rock, and I popped open like a water fountain to give you water to drink. He says, everything you're looking for, I, he said, I am the ultimate sign of God's faithfulness on planet Earth. In other words, every feast from Yom Kippur uh, to Passover uh, uh, to, to Feast of Weeks to Feast of Bo all of these different things find its reality in Jesus. And see, the faithfulness of God, when you know that he's satisfied you, you, you celebrate his faithfulness. What's funny about us is we so easily forget we look at the children of Israel and say they were stupid. Guess who else is stupid? We need to be reminded over and over and over again because somehow being on this planet dupes us into thinking that it can satisfy us. The greatest trick of the enemy is to help you to be satisfied in something else. He wants you to get satisfied in illicit sexual activity. He wants you to get satisfied with drugs, with drunkenness, wants you to get satisfied with your own pride. He wants you to get satisfied with the mirror of planet Earth to make you think you look better than you actually look. But what's beautiful about the living God is that he sent Jesus Christ to be the ultimate satisfier. Why? So that we can find the central nature of our faithfulness in him and him alone. Let me tell you something. You want to get married, marriage will not satisfy you. Let me say that 10 more times. I love my wife, but there, God has sovereignly put limits on her. Listen, everything that you're looking to save your life, everything you're looking, if I just had this, then God I would be. God is, God is either going to give it to you to show you how low on the totem pole in satisfaction it is, or he won't give it to you so you won't stop worshiping him. And so I'm just trying to tell you that everything in your life is on E to satisfy you. 
But what, what, what's beautiful about being in Christ is that he's always on full to satisfy us. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 11 through 13, he says, you have home for yourselves. Cisterns, broken cisterns, which can hold no water at all. But he says, I am the fountain of living water. That idea in the Hebrew of fountain living water means a water that comes from an invisible source that keeps on gushing water out from a, a place where you don't even know it come from. All you know is it just keeps coming. And the issue with the water is it doesn't stop being fresh. It's always as fresh as it was when the freshness of it began. That's what God is for you. That's what Christ wants to be in your life. If I could just read some verses on God's faithfulness and satisfaction as I, as I close. Psalm 17, 15 says, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Psalm 63, 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my soul will praise you with joyful lips. Psalm 90, verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Psalm 104, 13 says, from your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. Psalm 107, 9, lastly. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Jesus says it in the Beatitudes like this. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you shall be filled. As you get used to in your life, God satisfying the hungry thirst, you'll have a record of his faithfulness in your life. Don't be a forgetful person that doesn't recognize God's faithfulness to us.